to Falter Ego episode 35. Uh, there was an episode 34 which I sort of took down uh, for reasons that shall remain known only to me. But um, I thought I'd try and get out two eps in this fortnight to make up for that because I don't want to uh, not uh, provide what I'm charging six people for. Um, so I'm going to try and get two episodes out uh, this fortnight so I thought I'd do one a week early um, but uh, I just wanted to reflect on so I've, I've been obviously uh, if you've been listening to the podcast and following uh, I guess my uh, little uh, career life change from no, not change but sort of addition uh, so on top of doing satirical comedy and comedy writing which is simultaneously going extremely well and awfully at the same time. Um, in Australia, it's very it's it's odd to both be doing absurdly well and nearly starving to death, <laughs> which seems an odd reflection of the state of the industry here. Maybe I'll dwell on that for a second, just because it's interesting, isn't it? I won't. I can't mention what I've worked on, um, but I can say that I've worked on two shows that are both uh, adaptations of in co- comedic properties, intellectual properties that have global significance and a global following, and are monoliths of um, televisual comedy. I've been worked, asked to work on two of these things. And in my head, when I got those opportunities, like, oh, it's just, this is it. My life's changed. You know, that's it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm set for life. Um, it's not the case. Just it's odd in, in Australia. Just just weird decisions. It's like, yeah, sorry, can you do another round of changes on this script? It's like, right, so you're paying me for those rounds of changes, right? It's like, well, oh... Just love it, no, but love it if you get it back to us by, you know, end of the week. Is it right? So you're not paying me then for the, because in the contract it says you get two rounds of revisions and anything after that gets charged at, you know, 10% or something of the original amount. Just odd, you know, things. And just, I don't know, this is a sort of a willing things to be bad. Like I remember working on something a couple of years ago where, again, it was something that in other countries had been done extremely well and extremely successfully. And you look at the the, the writing team on that and there's, you know, 12 writers and, you, you know, you, you dig into the Wikipedias and stuff and it's like, you know, their writing process was, you know, three months per episode or something, you know, with 12 of the best writers in the United States or wherever, and therefore probably 12 of the best writers in the world because they're the best in the US. They're, they're, you know. And each writer has got significant mileage and they've worked on other things. And the executive producer is is an exec, is, is a former head writer on other shows. They've got a writer's sensibility. And then you the same shows getting made here 
and it's like right who who are we teaming up with three riders right okay so already a quarter of what they had on the other show uh two of them have never written anything before but we're just giving them a chance because it's all about it's all about giving people an opportunity and so well okay but all eyes are going to be on this because it's you know, this is a big thing that you're making that people know. Um, and, you know, and, and the people, the higher-ups have no writing credits and so that they're chipping in creative suggestions that disobey the rules of narrative comedy. It's like, what if this happens? Up right, but that can't happen because that character wouldn't do that, you know. So sort of just odd suggestions. Like I can't really think what an, I can't really analogize it without giving too much away. But they're just, you know, throwing in things that just can't, cannot. Imagine in an episode of like, <laughs> imagine someone's reviewing the script of, I'll, I'll make this really abstract so I don't give anything away at all. I'll make it as different as possible. But imagine if someone's reviewing the script of like The Godfather, right? And so I really love this bit, you know really love the opening scene where it's the wedding and people are coming to ask him favours. But then, like, what if a dragon crash lands and the mafia now have to deal with a dragon? So, right. It's just that for this particular movie, there are there are no dragons. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's suggestions on a level that's that bad. You know, like, this just doesn't fit... The DNA of your idea is a complete mismatch for the DNA of this particular movie or sitcom or whatever it is, sketch show, whatever it is you're doing, you've, you're the thing you're saying. And it's just, there's no writer's sensibility or writerly sensibility in the creation of this show. Anyway, so there's just odd decisions that get made in Australia, just skipping trying to squeeze, do you out of money for rounds of feedback and also just a compressed time frame like in the US. It's like they had, you know, six weeks per episode or three months per episode and uh, here it's like, right, can so here's the plot outline. Can you write up a draft by Friday? So, right, so in five days' time. So you want to achieve in five days what they achieved in the US in three months with four times the number of writers. So that's, that is, what's that? That is 12, how many, five days is a working week. So f- yeah, <laughs> they had they had three months you want to do in a week. So they had 12 times the amount of time and four times the amount of writers. So that's, if you do the maths, that's 48 you're, tr- you're putting a 48th as much effort into this. <laughs> and I don't know where the problem lies. Is it is it the Australian industry just doesn't have big bucks? Like just uh, people just think more budget should go towards the production versus the writing team? Is there just not much money over here? I don't know. But Australia just at a, on, on a fundamental structural level just seems ill-equipped to generate awesome you know awesome stuff um not saying that's always the case but it just seems uh 
a recurring thing on shows that I've worked on <laughs> and then subsequently not worked on um, that they're just not they just seem to be aspiring to make the thing really well rather than just getting away with making it at cost, you know. Um, so that's been my experience. And, you know, so it's, it's, been, it's been a real privilege to be asked to write on these things because clearly by being asked, given the nature of the thing that you're being asked to write on, there's some reflection there on an assumption of your skill. But the material reality of it is that there's no way you're going to execute something good when you're just trying to cut a thousand corners. Anyway, so like I said, um, my little journey away from writing, again, not that I want to give it up, I'll always keep it up, but it's just not, not in this economy, it's just not sustainable, you know. Um, I've got a kid and stuff, so... And so I've been, uh, as I have mentioned, uh, I've drifted away from that a bit and have started studying psychology because that is also a passion of mine and fits, aligns more with my values of wanting to make a positive impact in some way. Um, anyway, I've been enjoying the synthesis of my psychology degree and I thought I would just dwell on this a little bit for this episode, the synthesis between... Um, some of the stuff that I'm reading about in the psychology degree with um, some of my uh, other sort of uh, the other things I do in my free time, which is exploring um, Eastern philosophy and um, my proto-embryonic Buddhist sort of practice. And one of the most clear or clearest uh, kind of crossovers that I've encountered so far is the... Uh, technique or therapeutic uh, sort of, you know, uh, there's a sort of a dominance evidence-based approach, therapeutic approach known as cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy and Eastern um, philosophy. There's a a big crossover there, specifically um, insight meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy. And I just wanted to go over what that sort of synthesis or overlap is as far as, as I can see. Cognitive behavioural therapy, and bear in mind this is a, uh, a summary being given by a psychology student, so I, I haven't, um, <laughs> I'm not qualified in any way, I'm not an expert, I'm just a student. Um, I, have been, I have been getting high distinctions in all my assignments, so, you know, pretty, um, pretty good guys. But... Um, but cognitive behavioral therapy is uh, a suite of techniques one might use to challenge the um, the thoughts and behaviors, so the cognitive and the behavioral, um, that come associated with certain uh, mental disorders, right? So if you're, say, depressed, obviously a huge problem with depression is that you're thinking dwells in that sort of negative, depressive space. And unfortunately, obviously, the more, as they say, the neurons that fire together, wire together, the more you are depressed, the longer you stay in that space, the worse thinking you have. Um, 
the more likely it is that you continue to have that thinking because your brain just slowly, you know, it's a, you know, your brain is a muscle uh, and muscles that you work out at the gym get bigger. You know, if you work out your right bicep, uh, your left bicep doesn't also get bigger, you know. Um, I don't know why anyone would choose to have asymmetrical biceps, but you can, if that's your dream, you can achieve that. Um, <laughs> it's a very niche Instagram um, <laughs> niche Instagram account right bicep club um, I'm here to promote my green smoothie that's how I achieve my massive right bicep uh, my left one I just used to hold the phone uh, 12 inches from my face as I film these <laughs> tutorials um, so you can get stuck in that groove Your, you know grooves develop in your thinking and it's easy to fall into those grooves um, over and over again and so as I said if you're if you are depressed if you suffer from say major depressive disorder um, you might think well there's no point going to work today because nobody likes me everybody hates me they all think my work is um, substandard they all think um, you know they all talk about me by my back even though I've never seen them do it, but I, I know they're doing it. You know, so all these sorts of things that there's no way to prove that you're wrong, but also there's no way to prove that you're right either. But a lot, so, because a lot of it, it's just, it, it's, it is that depressive thinking. Um, cognitive behavior, you know, or, you know, when I'm giving a presentation or say with um, certain anxiety disorders, you know, you get uh, with, say, social anxiety disorder or speaking in large groups, um, you might say, I hate getting I hate getting up in front of people because everyone can see I'm nervous. You know, my face goes red, my hands shake, and everyone, I, I know that everybody can see that my hands are shaking. And I sound like an idiot and I fumble my words. So you have all these negative thoughts. And so cognitive behavioral therapy, um, you know, you've, you've got, it's a it's kind of like about providing evidence to the contrary, but unfortunately you have to will that evidence into existence. You know, the, the problem with a de depressive disorder, say, for example, is that that's kind of you on autopilot. You're, you're not going out of your way to think that de the depressive things your brain is now sort of stuck in this autopilot setting where the thoughts come almost whether you want them to or not. So it's your job then to combat that, to consciously go against these thoughts by providing evidence. So, you know, maybe you write down on a piece of paper, you know, here's my thought, my boss hates me. Um, he only ever talks to me for three minutes after the morning meeting on a Monday or whatever it is. So okay, now let's try and write some positive reasons why that might be the case. Let's challenge that case. Let's put that, let, let, let's challenge that thought. Let's put that thought on trial and you be the prosecution against that thought. Well, okay, maybe maybe after the morning meeting on a Monday, I mean, there are 15 members of staff. 
So I suppose if he talked to everyone for long individually for longer than three minutes, I mean that would take up you know two hours of his day. So he, and when I've actually, if I pay attention and watch him closely, he only talks to everyone for three minutes. So it's not just me, you know. Um, if he hates me, has he ever actually? If I really, really think about it now, has he ever actually said anything that proves he hates me or she hates me? Um, and actually, can I think of? Ooh, can I think of any situations where he or she has praised my um, praised my um, my work? Yeah, actually, last. Wednesday, he or she clapped me on the back and said, great job. That was, you did so well on that project. Three weeks before that, there was that email where he sent it, that CC to the whole company and said, well done. Well done to me for um, really pushing that project over the line. Really, really, you know, employee of the week. So actually, if I actually step away from that thought for a second and grill it and prosecute it, suddenly all this positive evidence pops up. Um, so it's, it's essentially, you know, not treating your thoughts as a, as a foregone conclusion that they, that they are correct and that they somehow map onto reality, that they, they are an accurate reflection of the world as it is, but rather are a, you know, a creation of your mind and whatever grooves that your mind may be trapped in or stuck in. Um, and so in a, in a, in a way that's extremely similar to insight meditation in which, you know, the thoughts that pop up are observed rather than bought into, um, you know, you think shit, 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 you know, I can't afford to pay the bills. Uh, my whole family's going to die because, <laughs> because I worked on two massive TV shows and got paid fuck all for them. Uh, just to choose a, <laughs> just to take a hypothetical example plucked, plucked from thin air there, guys. That's totally doesn't pertain to anything that's actually happened to me. Um, but you know, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> I actually, how am I going to pay my mortgage, uh, or my rent or the grocery bills? Um, when am I ever, ever going to go on holiday ever for the rest of my life? Um, and that thought pops up and you think your life's going to be shit. Um, you're all going to die. And then you remember, I've been in this situation before. I've had this feeling before. Did I die? No, I didn't. <laughs> I somehow kept on living. I found another job. I got work. I cut some expenses. I tied my belt. Some more work came through. In the end, everything turned out being fine. Remember that, okay? Don't, don't allow the an original thought to don't don't fill the sails of that thought with with the wind of your conscious attention and conscious belief. You know, so the with insight meditation, you know, the, the trick is to let that thought pop up, and instead of getting caught up in it and going, well, I clearly that thought's a true and be a reflection of what I, me, the ego, think. So I'm going to go along with it. I guess that thought belongs to me. It's almost like, you know, staring at the luggage on the carousel at the airport. Oh, that's my luggage, so I guess I'm I guess I'm taking that home with me. There's no obligation. 
in the carousel of your mind. Here comes a weird metaphor. There is no obligation in the carousel of your mind to take any luggage that is passing by. None of it is yours. Some of it might roughly look like your suitcase. Fuck me. <laughs> what does a depressed thought look like? A suitcase? Great, okay. It's a really clear mental image here, Jazz. Um, there's no obligation to take any of that home with you. There's no obligation to pick it up, heave it through the airport and carry it with you and bear the weight of that. Okay, you can just watch it go past. There's no need to, to buy into it to say that's mine. That is not only that is mine, but that is me and a reflection of what me thinks. It's not, it's a reflection of what a thought has thought. It's not a reflection of what you have thought. And so in doing that, you create um, awareness because the more you just observe your thoughts, the less you are your thoughts and the more you are the person watching them, which is just pure awareness. Um, it's like you become more canvas and less picture, you know, more canvas, more blank canvas. I think I might have said this before, like the painting on the can, the, the size of the painting remains the same, but the canvas around it, around it expands so that proportionally the painting is less significant, you know. So no one's denying the thoughts, They're not saying that's not me thinking that or that thought's not real or um, that thought didn't happen, it happened, it's there. You just witness it non-judgmentally. You don't grab onto it, you don't push it away because both of those are bad. Pushing, pushing away and grabbing are both forms of, it, of attachment in, in a sense. Um you're just sort of accepting it and go, well, there, there's a thing, you know, and on the carousel of your mind, it's just spotting the luggage going round and round and going, yeah, well, none, I don't, don't need to take any of this. None of this is mine. I'm not going to take any of this home with me. I'm just going to let it roll by. So insight meditation creates that sort of space where say back, back to the example of the, someone uh, trapped in sort of depressive cycles of thinking um, where, yes, you can have the thought, my boss hates me, but you don't go along with it. You just let it be there. And so there's a really nice overlap and similarity between cognitive behavioral therapy and, and insight meditation and mindfulness meditation, which is that your thoughts are not um, authoritative in any way. I think that's the the most basic way of putting it, the most basic way of expressing that similarity is that, yeah, your thoughts, your thoughts are not authorities and they are not accurate. They don't have to be accurate reflections. We don't have to believe they are accurate reflections of the world as it is. They don't map onto reality. They are just, they're just thoughts, you know, and you're welcome to challenge them. Um, obviously, with insight meditation, there's, there's less of that proactive challenging as there is with cognitive behavioral therapy where it's like, okay, there's the thought. Now I'm going to drum up evidence to counter that claim. With insight meditation, the countering step isn't there. It's just letting that thought pop up and and float by. 
But the process in doing either of those two still results in a kind of weakening of that that thought's uh, hold over you. Both of them, yeah, weaken that thought's grasp. That yeah, it's it's hold over you. Both of them invite you not to get caught up in that thought. Um, there was a description. I'll have to find it somewhere. Of the 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 the, the two darts that the mind throws. The first dart is the depressive thought or the negative thought. Like, oh, I'm late for my meeting or I'm going to be late for my meeting or I'm going to suck at this presentation. That's the first dart. And the second dart is the one we throw at ourselves, which is building on that. Like, and because I'm going to suck at that presentation, then John is going to get the promotion and I'm not and... What will my wife think of me if I come home and say I sucked at the presentation? So, I mean, the first thought's possibly not an accurate depiction of reality because maybe you're going to do fine at the presentation. You might not ace, ace it, but maybe you're going to do fine or your performance on stage or, you know, whatever it may be. But the second dart is, is the one you throw at yourself. You've added that to the mix so that the first dart is the one your brain throws automatically, but the second dart is you buying into it and adding more to the mix and throwing a throwing one at yourself because because I'm going along with that thought I'm not going to add extra ones on top of it because I've gone along with it and so cognitive behavioral therapy breaks that cycle for starters because rather than going with the thought and then adding more on top of it it's like well hang on okay that thought's there, but come on, let's not just, let's think of some, let's prosecute it, let's put it on trial. And then same with insight meditation. Again, there's the thought, um, but I'm just watching it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it an internal conversation starter or an internal prompt for subsequent thinking. And I can imagine, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, in the future, synthesizing these two. I know, uh, for example, there is um, a mindfulness, I think it's Mindfulness Integrated Cognitive Behavioral Therapy course in Australia, which I might get to um, as a master's degree or incorporated into a master's degree once I've got done sufficient foundational training but um, I know that's there and and so I I find that exciting and hopeful to uh, knowing that that integration is there Um, and that there is this alignment between um, yeah eastern western philosophy and psychology which is exciting but I just thought at this early stage um, having noticed that, I just wanted to talk it through almost for my own benefit. <laughs> but I think also the they're not just similar. They're also um, com- complementary in the sense that one uh, will aid the execution of the other. They're not just different versions of executing the same thing. They can actually work... Um, they're sort of companion pieces to each other in that if you're doing regular insight meditation 
And so you're developing that relationship with your own thoughts where they are not the be-all and end-all and they're not a conversation starter that you have to go along with. They're not a prompt. They're not authoritative in any way. So if you have that experience of sucking the wind out of the sails of your thoughts and just letting them be stimulus in the same way that a sound coming from over there isn't part of you, you know, if you can develop that relationship with your thoughts, then when it comes to challenging them and prosecuting them, it'll be easier to do so because there will be this less totemic. There'll be less this sort of monolithic, overbearing thing in your internal mental landscape and more this kind of weakened, uh, yeah, sort of weakened phenomena, phenomenon that you can just kind of prod at. And so in a way, it's almost like a one-two punch, like insight meditation sort of robs thoughts of having too much uh, extance, you know, too much, um, what's the word I'm trying to, potency. At which point I imagine, I mean, I've never tried this, I should, um, at which point it becomes easier to then challenge those thoughts because you've laid them up. You know, um, you've softened them up. That's the word. You've tenderized them. <laughs> so insight meditation tenderizes them and sets them up nicely for the sort of killer blow of prosecution from your cognitive behavioral techniques. So we'll look at that thought. It's not even, it's barely on its, it's on its legs anymore, you know. It's on its last legs. Now all I need to do is find two or three pieces of evidence the contrary to challenge it. Um so that's also handy. Anyway, it's just a short one for today. I just noticed that um, and I want to get two episodes out in this fortnight uh, to make up for the fact that I removed one uh, from last week. But yes, cognitive behavioral therapy and insight meditation, uh, lovely overlap there, something I've only just noticed for myself. I'm sure lots of other smarter people have probably said this many times uh, before me, but um, I'm sort of using this podcast as a way to track my own uh, slowly uh, expanding uh, knowledge base and uh, and so forth. So it was useful for me to, to talk through that. Um, and it's comforting again to see, yes, that much of uh, psychology in the West has overlap with other, you know, other forms of thinking, theories of mind that have been around for thousands of years and no, and no surprise either that those ones that do overlap heavily with Eastern philosophy uh, seem to be currently the the most successful and uh, the, the, the dominant evidence-based model provided by Western psychology, which is great. Anyway, uh, I shall leave you there. It was a nice wee little chat. And um, I shall get another one out soon. If you liked hearing any of the things I said like the word the which I said about uh, 45 seconds ago, that was a highlight um, you can support the podcast on Patreon or um, just tell someone about it it would also be nice as well and also apologies for my voice uh, suffering from a very nasty cold slash fluey thing that was good fun, good, good note to end on I'm sick, alright, support the podcast 
chat soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.